Welcome to No Time to Waste, the podcast that inspires and motivates us to maximize our moments. I'm your host, Allison Haddon. I'm battling terminal cancer, but I'm focused on living my best life as my best self every day. Join me as I chat with resilient adventurers, seekers, trailblazers, and exceptionally good humans as we explore what it means to live fully because there's no time to waste for all of us. Brad Ludden was a young professional whitewater kayaker whose life was first touched by cancer when his aunt was diagnosed at 38 years old. By the time he was 18, he was sharing his passion for kayaking with pediatric oncology patients. Soon after, he founded First Descents, a nonprofit to help young adults experience the adventure and community of the outdoors free of charge. And 20 years later, the organization's still thriving, offering more than 70 programs across the country in 2021, including rock climbing, surfing, kayaking, whitewater rafting, and more. And not just for the patients, programs for caregivers, for frontline workers, and more. All this started by a guy whose good looks and good heart earned him the title of Cosmo Magazine's Bachelor of the Year back in 2008. It's a true story, people. Here's Brad Ludden for No Time to Waste. So welcome, welcome to the pod, Brad Ludden. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Probably known best for your Bachelor of the Year award by Co- from Cosmo Magazine back in 2017. Is this correct? Uh, unfortunately, it was 2008. I-, I wish it was 2017 because it wouldn't be nearly as bad. But the only thing that made that worse is that it was older. So yeah, it's uh, unfortunately, yes, that's correct. I think that's I think that's awesome. Um, that's that's actually why you're here, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about your uh, celebrated bachelorhood from 14 years ago. Yeah. Um, no, you are uh, you were a whitewater kayaker and the founder of First Descents, which I've done a ton of research on. Um, I would love to hear you kind of uh, introduce it and, and just tell me a little bit about your story. Yeah, sure. So uh, First Descents was founded in 2001, which I am really proud of that date. Uh, and we've been around for a minute. And uh, it's the short explanation is it provides these free outdoor adventures to young adults impacted by cancer and now MS. And recently, we've been working with the frontline healthcare workers affected by pandemic. Um, it all started with, uh, with me, you know, trying to, uh, share my passion for whitewater kayaking with, uh, people that I thought could benefit from it, uh, mm-hmm. and really not knowing what else to give. And, um, and it's, it's evolved quite a bit over the years, you know, selfishly, I think kayaking is the best thing in the world, but not everyone wants to go kayaking. And so there are all these other outdoor adventures that we've made available, whether it's ice climbing or rock climbing, mountaineering, surfing rafting, so on and so forth, mountain biking. Um, and they take place all over the country and even around the world and uh, multi-day, usually anywhere from three to seven days long. Yeah, I heard um, I heard you describing kind of the, the origin story um, on the website or on a video that I watched somewhere um, and how your parents expected you to go to school. And you were like, no, I think, uh, I think I'm going to I'm going to do whitewater kayaking. Um, and oh, then yeah. they were like, uh, and then, and then you were like, I think I'm going to start a nonprofit. And they were like, Oh no. And yeah. kind of, kind of expected you to fail. 
Yeah, that's super accurate. Uh, I was 18 at the time. I graduated high school early. I'd been accepted to college. I think that's an important part of the story just for my dad to hear that I yeah. actually accepted. I just chose not to go. Um, and I was sort of staring down this crazy crossroads in life. And, um, you know, obviously if I chose college, that was a, at least a four-year commitment and would lead to probably some sort of a job shortly after and so on and so forth. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but I had recently become sponsored by Nike. I was finishing up a, a around the world kayak tour of nine months long. And I was just like, man, like, why would I walk away from this? And so I chose then and there that I wanted to pursue kayaking and not go to college. That that was an easy choice. The harder choice was how to find meaning in that decision. Because um, while I think my parents wanted, you know, they wanted the best for me and they were really worried about this this choice, this life choice and career choice. Um, I think their bigger concern was like, how do you, how are you fulfilled as a human? How, how do you evolve and grow? What are you doing beyond just kayaking? Cause kayaking is amazing, but as an athlete, it's like the most selfish, self-centered existence ever. And not always in a bad way, but you really like, you're promoting yourself. You're talking about yourself, you know, you're taking pictures of yourself and it was just like all me. And I really believed in the power of whitewater kayaking to be, this wildly transformational life changing experience that could build community and, and really come to define someone's existence in a meaningful way. And as it had done for me, uh, and I'd seen my aunt uh, have her own fight with cancer. And I saw that there were some resources lacking. She had breast cancer as a young adult. Uh, and it just seemed like there was this opportunity there to try to take something I loved and was passionate about, and in a position to recreate for someone else and, and give it to a, a group of people, a community that I saw needed support. Um, I didn't think much beyond that. And that's, you know, therein lied my parents' biggest fear of like, okay, wow, you're not going to college. You're going to be a pro kayaker, which even to this day, no one knows what that is, let alone <laughs> like back then. And you're going to start a nonprofit, you know what I mean? Like just like a horrible combination of decisions. Uh, and uh, fortunately, Somehow it all worked out. And here we are today talking about, you know, uh, the healing power of adventure and how we've delivered it to thousands of people free of charge. I stumbled upon First Ascents. I wrote it down as like this awesome resource. And I was like, oh, dude, I could meet other people, like other athletes that like want to go like adventure in the outdoors who also are going to be dealing with cancer. And like, these are my people. So uh, just so you know, like I, I have been watching from afar and when Ethan said your name, um, I was like, oh, I would love to talk to him about First Defense on, on the podcast. And um, I'm just so grateful that we got connected. Oh, thanks. I honestly, seriously, an honor. I, I, I got the email from Ethan. I read it like three times. I'm like, wait, so why does she want to speak to me? <laughs> I mean, you're just doing amazing work here. And I, I appreciate you telling your story and including my, my story and our story. And it's, uh, it's a really yeah. cool platform you built. So this podcast is about pulling together. Yes. Um, people who are known, um, but also people who are unknown and, being able to tell really compelling stories from dynamic people who are exceptionally good humans um, in the attempt to provide resources and motivate everyone out there to recognize that, you know, 
all of us, we have no time to waste. So how can we potentially use that reality um, of our inevitable mortality that, you know, how do we, how can we use that to live our lives differently? Sure. Right. And I've so, always said one of the greatest gifts that I've received through First Ascents is, uh, is having been gifted that perspective from, you know, the friends who I've made who, who have been diagnosed with cancer, who are my age. Uh, and just that reminder that, you know, life is fleeting for all of us. Um, they, they, you have, you know, been, you know, have had to confront that uh, reality sooner perhaps than some, but it's, you know, that, that's every human being and, and we should all live with that urgency, I think. And so it's, I think it's awesome that you're, you're using this platform as, as to, to provide that perspective and that reminder to others, because it's, I think the greatest gift or lesson we could all uh, receive in our lives. Yeah. Well, I feel like you're one of the lucky ones that, I mean, you've experienced your own your own loss, right, in your own life. Um, but it sounds like you are very aware of our most precious asset, which is time, right? Mm -hmm. And based on everything I've read uh, and watched about you, um, you are someone that, you know, you just go and get it. Like you know, I'm sure, because you've been doing it way longer than me, when you are doing something that is w with the objective of helping other people. Um, you know, it doesn't feel like work. Um, it's, no. it's right. What, what does it yeah. feel like? For uh, you? For me, it's just like, it's this, this, just this great joy, the sense of uh, purpose, right? Like I just feel like, yeah. like uh, I, I am here for a reason and, and I'm so lucky that I get to, uh, to live that reason, you yeah. know, that, um, to me, that was always second nature. I just assumed that was for every, you know, I assumed everyone <laughs> felt that way. Yeah. Uh, and I think everyone's capable of feeling that way for sure. I, I think I was just really fortunate that I stumbled into it, you know. And it's been, God, so it's been 20 years? Yeah. I mean, you know, like with everyone, last year has a, you know, an asterisk around it or um, next to it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, last year was like our 20 year anniversary and we had all these amazing fundraisers lined up and all these big events and retreats and hundreds of programs. And it was going to be amazing. And then obviously that all changed. So um, we did, we did provide programming um, for, as I mentioned, frontline healthcare workers. Uh, we reached out mm -hmm. to all of our healthcare partners, uh, you know, just kind of our, we were sitting on our hands, like, wow, we can't serve young adults with cancer MS. We know that. So let's just see if there's anything we can offer the healthcare partners that we have other than, you know, P, uh, was it P personal, um, what was the stuff that they ran out of? PPE, PPE. PPE. Thank you. I, I was like PPP. No, that was the loan. So many acronyms. You're like, so we, so you're like, so we ripped up kayaks <laughs> and created PPE. You're like, it was a little hot. Cycle. Um, yeah. It, classic. It, no. And so, uh, the, the overwhelming feedback was just like, Hey, we, you know, right now we're, um, in, in the midst of something really, uh, devastating. And we, when, when it's safe to do so, we want to be able to sit down with one another in a, in a meaningful space and try to understand what's happening, you know, mm -hmm. try, try to make sense of what we're going through because we know that the uh, psychological and, and psych psychosocial impacts will be, um, profound. 
And so that we were just like, wow, well, we, we offer these programs and we've, you know, we were seeing depression and anxiety and all these things coming out of the, the sort of the fallout from the pandemic for the frontline healthcare workers. And we're like, well, that lines up with a lot of the things we try to address in our other programs. And so, so all that to say, yeah, it's been, this will be our 21st year. Last year was different. Uh, I'm proud that we were able to offer some programs and that can start ramping back up now because um, I'm, you know, I'm not sure your experience, but a lot of our per- participants give us the feedback that, um, after diagnosis have feelings of isolation and alienation and isolation is like, right. Like you just mentioned, like, Hey, everyone, like when we went to quarantine, now everyone knows what isolation feels like. And it's not, mm-hmm. not nice. It's not fun. It, you know, it has its own impacts. And so uh, I think our, uh, our young adult communities were sort of more adversely impacted arguably. And so we, we feel this tremendous, um, sense of urgency to, to reconnect with them, to get them reconnected with one another and to get out and, and you know, outliving it, so to speak. So we're, we're excited for 2021. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys had any programs in Q1? Uh, I believe in we, person? Just had, we just had one, I believe in person. I would have to go look. They're ramp, we're ran, running about 70 programs this year, which Whoa. is far fewer than we had hoped to run last year and certainly fewer than we'd hoped to run this year, but at least it's more than, you know, at least we're doing programs. And, and obviously with the light at the end, the tunnel coming up, I, we're going to, I think 2022 and beyond will just be um, uh, wonderful. I'm really excited about it. Hey, no time to wasters. Former guest Ethan Zahn here. On today's Active Against Cancer Spotlight segment, I'll be interviewing NFL and Pittsburgh Steelers legend Merrill Hodge to learn how he was able to find a way to survive. So stay tuned. Um, When you think back to those early days, I know you started with, you know, I think you said in your first year you, you ran programs with 15 people. Right. Mm-hmm. It was like, that was the, so what did it, what did it look like in the beginning and, and how did it, how did it sort of evolve from there? Oh my goodness. Um, Can you remember back? I can't remember. 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, I'm honestly just glad, like it all worked out. Okay. You know I mean? Like looking back now, I'm like, wow, we, you know, like we were just a startup and we were scrappy. I was like 19, I think, or 20. And it was, you know, we had this, wonderful board of dedicated passionate people and they were young professionals but like we didn't have any money we didn't you know i I don't know if we had insurance i hate to say we have insurance (laughs) now yeah right but there were a lot of those i'm like totally dodged a lot of bullets um and but and we had we had no idea what we were doing we had no idea if it would work what we were trying to do we like we just it was we were just flying so blind um but I, I still believed and at that time had amassed a small group of believers too that that what we were doing had the potential to to help you know to be to to create positive change uh, or positive impact and we just held tightly to that belief uh, and sort of overlooked a lot of the other things and trusted it and took that leap of faith and sure enough after the first week. I mean, it was astounding. Like you, you'd see like physical transformations in people's appearance, you know, like tremendous turnarounds. And, and of course the testimonials were all there and all the feedback was so powerful and positive. And so that was like when we finally got our foot, you know, a stake in the sand or sort of a foothold from which to go forward. And um, we've just slowly built it year over year. I think we probably had insurance by like year two and things like that. So we, 
Oh, you were buttoned up. You were buttoned up. It only took you a year. You're fine. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. Yeah. It takes some people more than that. So awesome. So you started, I'm assuming with whitewater kayaking. Yep. Yep. We did a week of whitewater kayaking. We had 15 young adults come from around the country. Um, And over the course of the week, they, you know, none of them had kayak, which is the case in most of our, all of our programs. You know, you don't need any experience to do it. Uh, That's why we're there. And right. uh, they, they started in a pond and progressed to some class two, three whitewater. And, um, and it was just, it was, it was something so magical. Uh, the whole experience is still burned into my brain like it was yesterday. One of the few oh. things I still remember clearly from 20 years ago. And um, we, over the, I think we, I want to say several years later, uh, we added, what is it, 2008 maybe? That fateful year of the Cosmo Award, uh, I believe we added <laughs> slash slash the year you were peaking. Yeah, no, that was definitely <laughs> um, like understatement to say that it's all downhill from there. It certainly was. Um, but we added rock climbing and mountaineering. And that was like a big step for us because we knew that kayaking worked. Our name is first descents, like the first time down the river, right? So we were like having this identity crisis. I'm afraid of heights. Like the whole thing was just like, should we do this? Um, and we did it. And you, at the end of the program, you could have interchanged kayaking and climbing and not known the difference. The, the outcomes were all the same. You know, we're fostering really genuine and powerful community amongst these guys, um, really building self-efficacy and, and, you know, just this whole host of positive things were coming out of rock climbing, who would have thought. And so then we, that, that kind of opened our eyes to like, oh, what is adventure? You know, what can deliver this, this experience? And so we sort of took it to a more macro level to define like what a first descent adventure might be. And since then we've delivered countless types of adventures from, you know, sea kayaking, as I said, mountain biking, multi-day rafting trips or canyons in Peru, like you name it. Um, Whoa. All- okay. International travel. Oh yeah. Up. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we, that sounds we super cool. Everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and they've all delivered that same powerful transformation that that first program back in 2001 delivered. And that's the beauty. I think of, of adventures in the outdoors. It's like, you don't have to overthink it. The, the the power and the magic lies within it. And uh, it's pretty easy to create because of that. Would you say that the majority of your um, attendees um, are already kind of seasoned outdoors people? Or are these people who are getting exposed to some of these uh, adventure sports for the first time? And um, what, are, what do you find? Yeah, you know, the... Without question, the majority and like overwhelming majority of our uh, attendees have never done anything like what they're about to do with us, right? Like, so they've, whether it's rock climbing or kayaking, they've never done that particular adventure. Most of them have never really been, like, have really done anything in the outdoors. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's not, we're not like targeting that. That just, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, that just seems to be what happens. And uh, the I think whether or not people take to that adventure or, you know, go on to learn how to climb on their own or kayak or which many of them do, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that to me is, I love seeing it because I think it's a great thing to have in your life, but I, I'm not here to like make people convert to like these outdoor adventures. I think what's more important and what is lasting throughout uh, and for everyone is uh, the the sense of community that's built, you know, like Mm -hmm. that, 
um, just just being able to connect in a meaningful way with someone your age who's going through the same things and can speak a language, frankly, that none of, uh, you know, no healthcare worker, no doctor, no, you know, founder, no one can. Uh, it, you, you, it's something you have to have experienced yourself to, to be able to understand. And, um, and that's no one's fault, but this provides the, uh, sort of the outlet for, for people to connect in that, in that manner. And, uh, the sad part about it, um, is that for most of our participants, they say that coming to these programs, it's oftentimes the first time they've met someone else their age going through what they're going through, which, I mean, you know, some 80,000 people diagnosed a year in that age range. It's just crazy to me. It is crazy. I mean, I, th- I was thinking about it and I'm like, yeah, when I here in Boulder, um, you know, when I go in for treatment every week, I'm definitely um, like I can I can remember uh, running into like a guy who was definitely like under 40. And that was that was like a rarity to the point where I was like, hi, like, uh, you know, um, I like just put my contact info down and cause I heard and, and it sounded like it was his first chemo or whatever. And I was just like, if you ever want to talk and like in retrospect, like how creepy and weird, like no, me with no awesome. hair. I, th- I think it's awesome that you like went over and said something. I love that. Well, I know, let's just put it this way. I never heard from him. <laughs> Is there anything unique other than the fact that the people who are there are all going through or have been through their own cancer experience? Is there anything that that is that you do as part of the programs that kind of address that or like anything that's kind of unique that that would if you didn't know who the people were, you would go, you know, oh, this is just like a rock climbing trip with a bunch of people or is yeah. anything I mean, well, like there are a few things. One is everyone gets a nickname when they show up to our programs, and that that all that was like a happy accident. Um, That's cool. And no one knows. Like you come to a program, you don't know anyone, right? Like it's not like right. you pick a group of friends to show up and climb. Like, and so it's really fun because you get you meet people by a new name, and that new name takes on a new identity. Uh, mm-hmm. and people really like hold fast to that. Um, so that's kind of fine because, like, I guess, like I'm thinking from an outsider's perspective, if if they saw one of our groups, they'd obviously like people be calling each other like really weird names. Right. And everyone's like, Whoa, what's like that? what? Give me an example. Well, mine's man salmon, which is kind of awkward. Um, but there's just like, it there's, awkward. there's so many, I mean, I was just hanging out with mogul Prez, but, and then otherwise, I mean, like, yeah, you'll see like, you know, someone might be, might, might not have hair or like there might be an amputee or, or, you know, whatever it is. But um, I guess sometimes like people dress up in pretty, pretty rowdy costumes just because hu- humor is like a huge part of what we do. Um, it feels like too often, like after a cancer diagnosis in our society, like they're like people's lives become void of humor. And I think humor is just so healthy. Um, and yep. just, just to sit around and belly laugh again, you know, it's like that in itself is therapeutic. And so, you know, but beyond that, we, we find truly like just allowing the space for people to sit around and talk. Um, you know, of course we go climbing that that's that, but like you come back to a lodge, we have two chefs at every program. So, you know, the food's top notch. We really, that was all yeah. feedback from our participants. Like they really wanted like the nutrition to be top notch and like, yeah. you know, locally sourced, mostly plant-based, et cetera. Um, yeah. I really like meat. So it's a little struggle for me, but whatever. Um, but <laughs> then we just let them talk, you know, just like in what yeah. is, you want to journal someone, take a nap. You know, some yep. like sometimes it's exhausting to go kayaking or climbing or whatever. And so, but we find that space between to be really where the connection happens. Like the, 
like the self-led organic conversations. Um, and that to me is like kind of the, the magic in what we do. And, and the funny part is there's no magic at all. We just let, we just let what's there happen. And has this been for you personally, have you had to take on any other jobs, um, in addition to, to building and, and running the show with First Ascents? Around about 2010, um, we kind of hit this really big growth spurt at First Ascents. And, and we also simultaneously decided to move the organization down to the front range from Vail down to Boulder or Denver, sorry, to have more resources. And so I decided to move with it. And uh, I just went to the board and said, listen, I, like, I'll give everything I have for as long as I can. But at some point, like... I, like, I just, I have to make enough money to live. And so I ran it, I think, for like six or seven months before I kind of just ran out of money. And I had volunteered prior to that. And so they were super supportive and put me in a paid position, which allowed me to dedicate everything I had. And um, I finally got That's off great. salary again, which is fantastic. So I'm just back to being a volunteer, which is where I want to be. Ah, uh, so how I want to understand then is how the heck do you guys keep the lights on? How are you able to scale Fundraising is obviously key. Um, talk to me about kind of what are your fundraising drivers typically, and um, and and I want to I want to figure out a pathway to 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 help for anybody that's listening that wants to contribute and um, and support or sponsor uh, someone like me um, to to go experience the outdoors. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Um, you know these nonprofits are so tricky uh, and really do just like. They, they run on people's passion and goodwill and kindness. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, being a nonprofit, you can make tax deductible donations of any size and it helps tremendously. Um, mm -hmm. If you have a company and are interested in like a corporate partnership or sponsorship, that's there. There's opportunities to go out and select like an outdoor adventure for yourself and set that goal and use it as a fundraising platform for First Ascents. And we have support online for those types of things. Uh, and then hopefully... If all goes well, later this year, we'll get back to hosting some events, uh, mm -hmm. larger fundraising events, which are really, we essentially just throw big parties. Uh, they're like these massive cool. celebrations and people come out and have a great time. And, just, you know, we certainly raise money too. Um, so there's a, a whole host of ways, but it, I, I think, yeah, I appreciate you asking the question. And if someone's feeling generous or is in a place to give or know someone who can, please, and they think we, they might connect with this mission, let, it, let them know about us. We'd appreciate it. Okay. Let's like make it really easy for them. I am listening right now and I'm like, you know, I got, I got 25 bucks. I got 50 bucks. Love I got a thousand bucks. I want to give it to this organization. Allison never brings nonprofits on. She never asks for money. Um, so what I would love is if you guys can put uh, a little bit into first ascents because selfishly I would like to go to surf camp in Santa Barbara. Um, cause I've already checked that out and was like, okay, that could work with my schedule. Um, so literally what do we, what do we say to those people? Where, do, where do they go? Um, the, the they want to donate. Yeah, no. And, and thank you again. The easiest ways, uh, just check out our website first, F I R S T descents, D E S C E N T S dot org. And on there, you can either call the office and one of our amazing development people will give you a shout back and they're really enthusiastic and passionate. So it's fun to talk to them. Um, or you can just hit the donate button right there, or you can kind of mm -hmm. like 
dig around and look at like the Outliving It project, which is sort of our um, online fundraising platform where, like I said, you could choose your own adventure and, and set it up that mm. way. So there, there's a, you know, I mean, I guess it starts with curiosity. Log onto the website. And if you have any questions, just pick up the phone and, and someone will give you a call back shortly if they don't answer right away. Donations are are everything. It's been a crazy year. Um, we have more demand than ever. And um, mm. so we need, to, we need to raise more money than ever. Yeah. So I just, so for people listening, I did, I went to firstdescents.org. Um, I clicked on donate and I see here that you guys have a, a goal, um, of $300,000. Is that for the year? Yeah. For that particular, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm not seeing what you're seeing, okay. but I, I'm assuming yes, for there, we set up a lot of campaigns and so it's probably campaigns. Yep. So uh, they're looking for they're they're looking for some cash. You can click the donate now button, um, and then if you scroll down after learning a little bit more about the programs, examples that they have is you know for a hundred bucks, um, your donation would sponsor a young adult impacted by cancer or MS caregiver or healthcare worker, so they could attend a single day program. Um, for two fifty, uh, basically you would uh, help young adult patients and their incredible staff of healthcare workers. Um, and for something like $1,000, you'd be able to sponsor uh, a participant on a life-changing multi-day adventure. Um, so, you know, if you've got a little bit, this is an awesome, awesome organization that I want to support and I will personally support as well. Um, and yeah, I would encourage everybody to go there. I'll, I'll definitely include the links in... Uh, the show notes for this as well, so that you guys can go there directly. Um, Brad, are you still a bachelor? <laughs> well, I'm not married, so I, I never know. All I, right. I have a girlfriend who, if I said I'm still a bachelor, she'd probably be really mad at me. Um, yeah, she would. She yeah, would. So, so don't do that. Say, no, I'm not a bachelor. Um, but if Cosmo, you know, comes calling again, I'd probably have to go single just to, just to Woo! Do I'm going to have to, I'm going to dig that, that photo up. I'm going to find oh, it. Huh. And, uh, when we push this episode, I'm going to toss it on Instagram because, uh, like, like you a know, tropical bird. it's so bad. It's like, the Oh, worst I can't photo. wait. Oh, it's going to be God, like the no. best, the best reward for finishing this episode, recording <laughs> it is getting to, getting to, to look you up. Cause I have not done that in that oh, context. Goodness. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I'm sorry. I apologize in advance. Uh, um, I so appreciate you, you taking the time here. Um, I hope to, to meet you in person at some point. I would love to meet you in person. Hey, if you're a fan of the pod, do me a solid just drop a one sentence review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it now. Um, it really helps introduce the podcast to new people. And for more motivation or to contact the show, head to notimetowasteproject.com or follow us on Instagram at notimetowasteproject. Welcome to this week's Active Against Cancer Spotlight hosted by me, Ethan Zahn. I'm a former pro soccer player that won Survivor Africa and started the global health charity Grassroots Soccer. And I also crushed a rare form of blood cancer twice. Today, I'm talking to football legend Merrill Hodge, who was able to find a way to overcome the ultimate challenge, cancer. So Merrill, thank you so much for uh, hanging out here on the Active Against Cancer podcast. I truly appreciate you being here. Oh, it's my honor, brother. And, uh, you know, I think everyone's just a little bit curious, like how did you, you know, fall into football and make that your uh, life path? Well, one day I, I was eight years old and I, um, 
I, I'd never seen football on television. And it was the first time I saw it on television. And you always kind of got to um, explain the perspective because people go, Tell, how, how, how could you not watch it on television? I mean, right. in 1973, um, it wasn't like some people didn't even have televisions, you know, and you had maybe three, three channels if you're lucky. And so it just wasn't common to watch television. Didn't see a lot of football. And um, um, I remember seeing it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea they did this on television. I go, oh. <laughs> and that hooked me. And I mean, from that moment on, I, I tell everybody that would ask me what I was going to do when I grew up, I was, I go, I'm going to play in the NFL. Wow. Uh, and playing such a, you know, a, a good, decent career, Pittsburgh, Chicago, like I'm sure you had some uh, health challenges, you know, not getting into cancer yet. I know you had a couple concussions, you know, what was it like at that moment, you know, being at the prime of your career getting, you know, some, some diagnosis with the, well, uh, the concussion thing. Yeah. Well, you know, that's always misunderstood. People say concussions yeah. ended my career and that's, that's absolutely 100% okay. incorrect. Um, um, improper care of that oh. concussion ended my career. Because if, you know, I have I, I have a major head trauma on a Monday night game, okay? And just let just walk through the evidence so you – because people go, oh, it's a concussion. I mean, you never – nah. Had concussion in my career, I never would have played again, okay? I clearly played after that Monday night game. And that in lies the problem is when I did come back mm -hmm. to play. So anybody who has bad recall for several hours, that's considered severe. Um, you go into eight or nine hours, that's really severe. Yeah. Um, and I was like that. I was wow. very severe. <clears throat> um, but I get cleared to play five days later over the phone by being asked one question, how do you feel? I end up going into cardiac arrest. Um, wow. I end up being in the hospital for a couple of days under in intensive care. And my career's really ended because of there. There's a bunch of things that go along with that, but my career ends. How, how old were you when this happened? Like in your career, how old were you? 30. 30? Wow. Uh, so right. when they were, you know, told you that, you know, you obviously had to make the choice at that time, or maybe the choice was made for you that, you know, you might have to retire. What was that like mentally like for you? You know, one, getting a diagnosis, not the diagnosis, getting this, this issue, we'll get into cancer in a little bit, but then, you know, having to, you know, at 30 kind of change your life plans. I went in and it was a, it was a very depressed state. I mean, I was as uh I was as bad as I think a human being can be. I was a victim. I thought I had every reason to point finger. I didn't do anything wrong. My career's over. Um, what I'd love for 20 years is over. Um, and it was the hardest thing for me. I mean, I was in a depressed state. I was seeing counseling. And I realized I got some responsibility in this. I, uh, I got people helping me. And if I don't help myself, shame on me. Yeah. I mean, I live by the saying, like, never let a crisis go to waste because it's opportunity to do some really important things. And like, you know, this thing happened to you and I'm sure there's a little bit of uh, in between times, but yeah, you took this horrible moment in your life and turned yeah. it into something good and made an incredible career as a broadcaster. And so fast forward a bunch of years, you know, where then all of a sudden you were diagnosed with a form of cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So did any of these skills that you kind of learned as an athlete or learn through, you know, this, uh, finding a way, uh, don't let the mind control you that you translated and you used in your fight against cancer. I, I, at first, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your cancer and your diagnosis, how that went down. And then once again, how the athlete's mindset kind of fits into the whole overcoming challenges and getting through cancer aspect of your life. Uh, my doctor called me up. It's a, it's a really, he was, he was really clean and direct. He's like, Merrill, you have a three pound tumor in your lower back. 
and it's malignant. And he said, it's the size and shape of a football, the irony of that. And he said, um, you're going to have to go through brutal chemotherapy. He goes, he knew I was training and playing in a basketball league. He said, you're no longer going to feel like doing that. He said, anywhere from 14 to 17 days after your treatment, you're probably going to lose your hair. So you might want to consider shaving your head. And he said, I, the last thing I have to make this clear, like he goes, I can't guarantee what we're going to do is going to work. And he hung up. Now, I played in an environment. Um, I never heard that. I mean, like something always worked. There was always a way. And this one was devastating from the sense of um, I have two things I'm facing, chemotherapy and dying. It's all I could think about. And it was my daughter who, who actually came across the room. I don't even remember coming across the room. I just remember this little dainty thing in my lap. She got her arms around my neck and she's like, hey, dad, gets my attention. And she's like, well, then you need to find a way. Oh. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I'd been letting my mind control me. Now it's controlling it. Now it's taking action. Now it's in charge. What advice would you give to someone, you know, knowing what we know as, you know, I, I mean, after I relapsed for my second time and I knew I had, like you, I had a couple months before I had to start treatment. I, I literally trained as hard as I freaking could. Like it was like, you know, world cup soccer match because I knew the better shape I am going into this, the better shape I'm going to be coming out of it and the better chances I have for survival. Yeah. But if I was an athlete leading up to this, I would have, I mean, you couldn't, you know, it would be very difficult to get me off the couch to exercise. So do you have any advice for people who may want to start exercising or who we know how good exercise is for you when going through cancer? What do you tell those type of people? Somebody who's going through treatment, um, let's say it hasn't been working out. Um, the last thing you tell them is, okay, listen, well, you got to start this program. Now it depends. Every treatment is, you know, is, is completely different. Some you can do a little more of that. But the first thing I try to always tell people, okay, do you have a routine? What have you been doing? Okay. Now they're well, doing been A, B, and C. Okay. Keep doing A, B, and C. Don't lose your purpose. Don't let this bad boy control you. Okay. You, you control it. You put it in a perspective you need to, but don't let it rob you of A, B, and C. You need to still do A, B, C. You love A, B, and C. Keep doing A, B, and C. And, uh, you know, I know you're a charitable guy and, uh, you know, I know you've been inspired by some of the things that you've went through and, uh, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about Highmark Caring Foundation and Caring Place centers that you work with? Well, the, um, I'm the chairman of the board of Highmark Caring Place. And it was, I mentioned I've lost my mom at a young age, you know, so our foundation is focused on children and families who have lost a loved one. So, um, we, uh, we focus on kids, but the entire family is, is our scope. Our director of our of the foundation at the time tragically lost his son, um, and through the grieving process he was going through, he was just like, "How did you? How'd you do it? Like, where did you go?" And I was like, "Wow, Charlie, I didn't go anywhere." Right. He's like, "What?" I was like, "Charlie, I didn't go anywhere." He goes, well, "We got to change that." You know, I've been part of people that are credible that do tremendous things for families and um, especially children because the um, the sting of death is hard on. Um, I know that as a kid and it can wreck a family and um, we have a sanctuary so people can go to help them, you know, pull themselves back together as a family. Wonderful. I mean, I was uh, 14 years old when my father passed away from colorectal cancer. So destroyed our family as well. And it was the community around us that really we leaned on and supported us. And so at an early age, I I found the value and the power of community. And so I've kind of brought that with me throughout my life. And especially when I was personally going through cancer, 
you know, I'm, you know, strong guy, jock. Like not only did I not want to ask for help from people, um, when I finally did ask for help, being vulnerable enough to receive that help is also very important, right? So you, you, you can need help and you can want help, but if you can't ask for it and receive it, then it, it changes things a little bit. Um, well, I, I truly appreciate you hanging out here on the Active Against Cancer podcast. Very inspiring words. I learned a lot from speaking with you, and I'm going to put into practice some of the things that you mentioned here today. So truly appreciate your time, Meryl. Well, my good friend, I appreciate you doing this for people because there's a lot of people that, you know, get that, that I call it the dark days of diagnosis hit. And, um, you know, they need that kind of hope and these type of things are are powerful for people. So thanks for doing that for people. If you'd like to support Active Against Cancer's initiative with Morris Sloan Kettering Cancer Center and help cancer patients stay active through treatment with virtual fitness programs, check out activeagainstcancer.com backslash podcast. That's A-K-T-I-V against cancer.com backslash podcast to learn more and donate online. Just be sure to put in no time to waste in the comment box. So get out there and maximize your moments and keep crushing it. See you next time.